Chapter One of The Warden. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jessica Louise. The Warden by Anthony Trollope. Chapter One Hiram's Hospital. The Reverend Septimus Harding was, a few years since, a beneficed clergyman residing in the cathedral town of, let's call it Barchester. Were we to name Wells or Salisbury, Exeter, Hereford, or Gloucester, it might be presumed that something personal was intended, and as this tale will refer mainly to the cathedral dignitaries of the town in question, we are anxious that no personality may be suspected. Let us presume that Barchester is a quiet town in the west of England, more remarkable for the beauty of its cathedral and the antiquity of its monuments than for any commercial prosperity, that the west end of Barchester is the cathedral close, and that the aristocracy of Barchester are the bishop, dean, and canons with their respective wives and daughters. Early in life Mr. Harding found himself located at Barchester. A fine voice and a taste for sacred music had decided the position in which he was to exercise his calling, and for many years he performed the easy but not highly paid duties of a minor canon. At the age of forty a small living in the close vicinity of the town increased both his work and his income, and at the age of fifty he became precentor of the cathedral. Mr. Harding had married early in life and was the father of two daughters. The eldest, Susan, was born soon after his marriage, the other, Eleanor, not till ten years later. At the time at which we introduced him to our readers, he was living as precentor at Barchester with his youngest daughter, then twenty-four years of age, having been many years a widower, and having married his eldest daughter to a son of the bishop a very short time before his installation to the office of precentor. Scandal at Barchester affirmed that, had it not been for the beauty of his daughter, Mr. Harding would have remained a minor canon. But here probably scandal lied, as she so often does, for even as a minor canon no one had been more popular among his reverend brethren in the close than Mr. Harding. And scandal, before she had reprobated Mr. Harding for being made precentor by his friend the bishop, had loudly blamed the bishop for having so long omitted to do something for his friend Mr. Harding. Be this as it may, Susan Harding, some twelve years since, had married the Reverend Dr. Theophilus Grantly, son of the bishop, archdeacon of Barchester and rector of Plumstead Episcopi, and her father became, a few months later, precentor of Barchester Cathedral, that office being, as is not unusual, in the bishop's gift. Now there are peculiar circumstances connected with the precentorship which must be explained. In the year 1434 there died at Barchester one John Hiram, who had made money in the town as a wool stapler, and in his will he left the house in which he died, and certain meadows and closes near the town, still called Hiram's Butts and Hiram's Patch, for the support of twelve superannuated wool carters, all of whom should have been born and bred and spent their days in Barchester. He also appointed that an almshouse should be built for their abode, with a fitting residence for a warden, which warden was also to receive a certain sum annually out of the rents of the said butts and patches. 
he moreover willed having had a soul alive to harmony that the precentor of the cathedral should have the option of being also warden of the almshouses if the bishop in each case approved from that day to this the charity had gone on and prospered at least the charity had gone on and the estates had prospered Woolcarding in Barchester there was no longer any, so the bishop, dean, and warden, who took it in turn to put in the old men, generally appointed some hangers-on of their own, worn-out gardeners, decrepit grave-diggers, or octogenarian sextons, who thankfully received a comfortable lodging and one shilling and fourpence a day, such being the stipend to which, under the will of John Hiram, they were declared to be entitled. Formerly, indeed, that is, till within some fifty years of the present time, they received but sixpence a day, and their breakfast and dinner was found them at a common table by the warden, such an arrangement being in stricter conformity with the absolute wording of old Hiram's will. But this was thought to be inconvenient, and to suit the tastes of neither warden nor beadsman, and the daily one shilling and fourpence was substituted with the common consent of all parties, including the bishop and the corporation of Barchester such was the condition of hiram's twelve old men when mr harding was appointed warden but if they may be considered as well to do in the world according to their condition the happy warden was much more so the patches and butts which in john hiram's time produced hay or fed cows were now covered with rows of houses the value of the property had gradually increased from year to year and century to century and was now presumed by those who knew anything about it to bring in a very nice income and by some who knew nothing about it, to have increased to an almost fabulous extent. The property was farmed by a gentleman in Barchester, who also acted as the bishop's steward, a man whose father and grandfather had been stewards to the bishop of Barchester and farmers of John Hiram's estate. The Chadwicks had earned a good name in Barchester. They had lived respected by bishops, deans, canons, and precentors. They had been buried in the precincts of the cathedral, they had never been known as griping hard men, but had always lived comfortably, maintained a good house, and held a high position in Barchester society. The present Mr. Chadwick was a worthy scion of a worthy stock, and the tenants, living on the butts and patches, as well as those on the wide episcopal domains of the sea, were well pleased to have to do with so worthy and liberal a steward. For many, many years, records hardly tell how many, probably from the time when Hiram's wishes had first been fully carried out, the proceeds of the estate had been paid by the steward or farmer to the warden, and by him divided among the beadsmen, after which division he paid himself such sums as became his due. Times had been when the poor warden got nothing but his bare house, for the patches had been subject to floods, and the land of Barchester Butts was said to be unproductive, and in these hard times the warden was hardly able to make out the daily dole for his twelve dependents. But by degrees things mended, the patches were drained, and cottages began to rise upon the butts, and the wardens, with fairness enough, repaid themselves for the evil days gone by. In bad times the poor men had had their due, and therefore in good times they could expect no more. In this manner the income of the warden had increased. The picturesque house attached to the hospital had been enlarged and adorned, and the office had become one of the most coveted of the snug clerical sinecures attached to our church. It was now wholly in the bishop's gift, and though the dean and chapter in former days made a stand on the subject, 
they had thought it more conducive to their honour to have a rich precentor appointed by the bishop than a poor one appointed by themselves. The stipend of the precentor of Barchester was eighty pounds a year. The income arising from the wardenship of the hospital was eight hundred, besides the value of the house. Murmurs, very slight murmurs, had been heard in Barchester, few indeed and far between, that the proceeds of John Hiram's property had not been fairly divided, but they can hardly be said to have been of such a nature as to have caused uneasiness to any one. Still, the thing had been whispered, and Mr. Harding had heard it. Such was his character in Barchester, so universal was his popularity, that the very fact of his appointment would have quieted louder whispers than those which had been heard. But Mr. Harding was an open-handed, just-minded man and feeling that there might be truth in what had been said, he had on his installment declared his intention of adding tuppence a day to each man's pittance, making a sum of sixty-two pounds, eleven shillings, and fourpence, which he was to pay out of his own pocket. In doing so, however, he distinctly and repeatedly observed to the men that though he promised for himself, he could not promise for his successors, and that the extra tuppence could only be looked on as a gift from himself and not from the trust. The beadsmen, however, were most of them older than Mr. Harding and were quite satisfied with the security on which their extra income was based. The munificence on the part of Mr. Harding had not been unopposed. Mr. Chadwick had mildly but seriously dissuaded him from it, and his strong-minded son-in-law, the archdeacon, the man of whom alone Mr. Harding stood in awe, had urgently, nay, vehemently, opposed so impolitic a concession. But the warden had made known his intention to the hospital before the archdeacon had been able to interfere, and the deed was done. Hiram's Hospital, as the retreat is called, is a picturesque building enough, and shows the correct taste with which the ecclesiastical architects of those days were imbued. It stands on the banks of the little river, which flows nearly round the cathedral close, being on the side furthest from the town. The London road crosses the river by a pretty one-arched bridge, and looking from this bridge the stranger will see the windows of the old men's rooms, each pair of windows separated by a small buttress. A broad gravel walk runs between the building and the river, which is always trim and cared for, and at the end of the walk, under the parapet of the approach to the bridge, is a large and well-worn seat, on which, in mild weather, three or four of Hiram's beadsmen are sure to be seen seated. Beyond this row of buttresses, and further from the bridge, and also further from the water which here suddenly bends, are the pretty oriel windows of Mr. Harding's house, and his well-mown lawn. The entrance to the hospital is from the London Road, and is made through a ponderous gateway under a heavy stone arch, unnecessary, one would suppose, at any time, for the protection of twelve old men, but greatly conducive to the good appearance of Hiram's charity. On passing through this portal, never closed to any one from 6 a.m. till 10 p.m., and never open afterwards, except on application to a huge, intricately hung medieval bell, the handle of which no uninitiated intruder can possibly find, the six doors of the old men's abodes are seen, and beyond them is a slight iron screen, through which the more happy portion of the Barchester elite pass into the Elysium of Mr. Harding's dwelling. 
Mr. Harding is a small man, now verging on sixty years, but bearing few of the signs of age. His hair is rather grizzled, though not gray. His eye is very mild, but clear and bright, though the double glasses, which are held swinging from his hand, unless when fixed upon his nose, show that time has told upon his sight. His hands are delicately white, and both hands and feet are small. He always wears a black frock coat, black knee breeches, and black gaiters, and somewhat scandalizes some of his more hyperclerical brethren by a black neck handkerchief. Mr. Harding's warmest admirers cannot say that he was ever an industrious man. The circumstances of his life had not called on him to be so, and yet he can hardly be called an idler. Since his appointment to his precentorship, he has published, with all possible editions of vellum, typography, and gilding, a collection of our ancient church music, with some correct dissertations on Purcell, Crotch, and Nares. He has greatly improved the choir of Barchester, which under his dominion now rivals that of any cathedral in England. He has taken something more than his fair share in the cathedral services, and has played the violoncello daily to such audiences as he could collect, or, faute de mieux, to no audience at all. We must mention one other peculiarity of Mr. Harding. As we have before stated, he has an income of eight hundred a year, and has no family but his one daughter, and yet he is never quite at ease in money matters. The vellum and gilding of Harding's church music cost more than any one knows, except the author, the publisher, and the Reverend Theophilus Grantley, who allows none of his father-in-law's extravagances to escape him. Then he is generous to his daughter, for whose service he keeps a small carriage and a pair of ponies. He is indeed generous to all, but especially to the twelve old men who are in a peculiar manner under his care. No doubt, with such an income, Mr. Harding should be above the world, as the saying is. But at any rate, he is not above Archdeacon Theophilus Grantley, for he is always more or less in debt to his son-in-law, who has, to a certain extent, assumed the arrangement of the precentor's pecuniary affairs. End of chapter 1 Recording by Jessica Louise, St. Paul, Minnesota